Hey everyone, so this is going to be a very different episode of Death by Video. We're actually covering a film that only one of us has seen, and we're more covering the situation surrounding it when it screened at the Toronto International Film Festival last week. We are talking about The People's Joker. It's the Five Video. There's a movie that you never seen. The map is ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles. There'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about eight billion years. It's time for death by video. Time for death by video. And now the show will begin. I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham. Graham saying welcome back to us. A special episode of, uh, normally we were just going to do a TIFF wrap-up, but instead we're actually going to do a whole episode dedicated to the People's Joker. Um, I was the only one that saw it. I was at the world premiere on uh, Tuesday, September 13th. I've already forgotten the dates that I took all that time to write down. Um, yeah, it was Tuesday, September 13th uh, as part of Midnight Madness at the Royal Alexandria Theatre here in Toronto. Um and please stop giving me flack. I know it's pronounced Toronto if you're local, but I'm saying Toronto for the benefit of our international listeners. Um, Toronto. Yes, Toronto. Not- you're also not a native Torontonian, so. Yeah, but I've I've been here long enough. I should know that it's Toronto, not Toronto. The Toronto accent, yeah. Yeah, so before we get into the guts of the story, um, I'm just going to do a, a rundown, or basically a, a brief plot synopsis. So basically the People's, people's Joker... Um, focuses on a, a character played by the film's writer and director Vera Drew. Um, Vera Drew is a editor, director, and writer who actually won an Emmy um, for editing the Sasha Baron Cohen television series, Who is America? Um, oh, yeah. I saw a few of those. Mm-hmm. And she's also done a lot of work with Tim Heidecker and Eric of Tim and Eric. She has worked for the Absolutely Productions, um, and she's directed for the TV series on Cinema, Scum, Our Bodies, I Love David, and Tim and Eric Quiz Game. So the film is a parody of the Batman universe, as well as an autobiography for Vera Drew in her realizing that she uh, she was a trans woman and her, uh, her transition. The interesting thing, though, is that what's been overlooked in the entire fracas surrounding this film First of all, we should point out that uh, it got pulled from the festival after its world premiere. There were supposed to be three more screenings. However, they all got pulled, like, literally within an hour of the, the first screening ending sometime around 2 a.m. in the morning on uh, Wednesday, September 14th. Um, I literally got home from the screening, checked my phone, and all future screenings were pulled. And we'll get into that. But the film focuses on uh, a person whose name gets bleeped out because it's their dead name. Um, growing up as a boy in Kansas, not being super happy, getting prescribed the drug Smilex uh, to make uh, him happy, and he falls in love with uh, comedy and wants to grow up to become a Joker. Now, a Joker in this universe is somebody who is on the cast, is a male cast member of the Union of the United Comedy Bureau, uh, or UCB. So what I was getting at is as much as this film parodies Batman and the DC universe, it also parodies the current state of comedy in the United States, specifically 
how if you want to basically go anywhere, you have to be a member of the UCB or Upright Citizens Brigade, which then gives you a direct path to Saturday Night Live. And in this version of reality, all other forms of comedy are banned except for UCB Live. To get in, you have to like join the United Comedy Bureau and start off. You have to audition and then take classes. And then eventually you might wind up on UCB Live. Lorne Michaels is a character in the film, voiced by Sarah Sherman. And um, he's kind of all over the place. And he dies fantastically when he slips on a banana peel, somehow loses all of his clothes, and then falls naked into a giant Venus flytrap and is eaten alive. Um, so it focuses on this young boy who grows up to be our Joker. Uh, he becomes a teenager. He's still addicted to Smilex. He comes to the big city. He auditions for UCB. He gets in. Um, there's all, But he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the classes. He doesn't like the fact he has to pay $10,000 a year just to be a part of this. Uh, and he teams up with a another comedian. It's still a he at this point. Or Sorry, uh, the Joker is still a he at this point. Teams up with another comedian who is the Penguin, essentially. And they strike out to form their own uh, comedy troupe. And the interesting thing is because comedy is outlawed, they actually call it anti-comedy. And so this is where they get their collection of rogues. Uh, they get Catwoman. They get Poison Ivy, who's a very disturbing CGI character in this in this firm. Although becomes beautiful as the film goes along. The Riddler, Bane, uh, who else from the the rogues gallery? A bunch of other rogues, Killer Croc, some others, um, and also a character known as Mister J, who basically is the Jared Leto version of the Joker from um, from Suicide Squad. Uh, who is actually the character of, I don't want to spoil this, but, and I, I'm going to keep it as spoiler-free as possible because some of these characters do have connections to the comic books and the films. Um, on the whole, it's it doesn't really follow the plot of Joker from 2019, which a lot of people assuming is, is assuming it is. And the, the project actually grew out of the producer, uh, let me look up the producer's name, the producer, sorry, the the co-writer and producer Brie LaRose paying Vera Drew twelve dollars to do an edit of Todd Phillips' Joker film because that was the only way Brie LaRose was going to watch Todd Phillips' Jokers if Vera Rose did an, a, a re-edit of it. Um, and then eventually, Todd Phillips' Joker got thrown away completely, and this original film parody film was created. Um, and it's it's mixed media. There's parts of it that are animated. There are certain characters that never appear in the flesh that are either portrayed by action figures or uh, some uh, rudimentary animation, then some really nice slick animation that looks like it's from Batman, the animated series. I mean, it's it's odd. Like, I'm not really telling the jokes, but this movie is very funny. It's also very touching and heartwarming, and it deals with a lot with... I hate to call it a coming-of-age movie because I don't really like coming-of-age movies, but it's definitely about finding oneself and finding finding one's family, uh, even... And also coming to accept that your journey in life is not going to be smooth and those that and it's also hard for people outside of your own mind to see just the difficulty in the, in the journey that you're going through and then the eventual acceptance and forgiveness that comes along with all of that forgiveness not for vera drew's character of the joker but for uh her family members and also i should also point out that the joker in the film that's played by vera drew actually isn't called the joker it's joker the harlequin because at UCB, all the female women that get employed are essentially just eye candy called Harley. They play Harley uh, Harley Quinns, and then all the men are called Jokers. So it's not actually the Joker; it's Joker the Harlequin. So it's uh, so she is a completely different character from 
the DC Comics and also from the Joaquin Phoenix Todd Phillips movie. I love this film. I the the heart was in every single frame of it. Um, the amount of work and effort like this started off as literally a I think a Patreon project that grew to involve over a hundred different artists and different disciplines, um, different actors and performers. It was all shot like the the live action sequences were mostly shot against the green screen, and it's a film that like you can tell was completely brought into existence through just sheer determination. And that shows in every frame. It's very funny. It's very heartfelt um, in a good way. It's not schlocky heartfelt. Like, Phil, you wouldn't hate it. Um, <laughs> don't, don't mean to rag on Phil, but you kind of hate heartfelt stuff. Um, in movies, not in life. But yeah, it, I'm a pretty squishy in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all squishy in real life. Um, but oh, quite I'm, literally, yeah, we squish. <laughs> But I'm uh, I'm a fan of this movie. I uh, it's just a bummer that it's not going to get seen by more people. There was one quote on Twitter from somebody, and I don't know if it's true if it if it actually is the fact. But someone said this could save trans kids' lives. Uh, none of us here are trans, uh, so I really don't can't even begin to fathom the trans experience. But if this film can can like cause somebody who's in pain to have a moment of uh, catharsis or just like see themselves represented in a way that's not either uh, as a tragic figure or as a token um, participant, then I think it's all the more important that it gets seen. Like this is what movies are good at, like being like, it's fun. It's funny. If you're into that, it's a great parody. If you want to see like hilarious versions of other characters. Um, and it actually has some social content or context which is it's rare in these days to get a film that can do all that stuff so yeah i'm trying not to spoil anything so i'm not going to give away any of the jokes um but it is a very funny movie so let's get into the controversy and guys feel free to chime in here because i've done like a loose timeline of of stuff so we'll just talk about it because actually before we do that i'm just going to get into the cast so um obviously vera drew portrays harlequin or joker the harlequin lynn downey portrays joker's mother uh, Kane Distler portrays Mr. J, and I think, yeah, this is the only role for Kane uh, Distler, uh, and the photos of them on IMDb is just them in character as Mr. J in this film. Ruin Carroll plays the voice, is, provides the voice of uh, Poison Ivy. Christian Calloway plays Dr. Jonathan Crane, who's best known for being the scarecrow in the comics and in the, the films. However, in this film, he actually looks more like Hugh, uh, Dr. Hugo Strange. Scott Ackerman plays does the voice of Mr. Freeze. Trevor Drinkwater plays the the Riddler. Nathan Faustin plays the Penguin. Nathan Faustin was amazing in this film, by the way. He uh, he he was at the, at the screening, and Vera Drew even pointed out that, like, he, not to say he was the token cis white guy, but uh, Vera Drew wanted to create a character that represented how in the comedy scene, especially for Vera Drew, there were straight cis white guys that were ally, like, I hate to use the term ally, but allies and were encouraging for her and uh were just like had her back every step of the way one of those people is also the programmer of midnight madness peter kaplowski and we'll talk about that later um because i think he really went out on a on a limb to get this film screened uh tim heidecker provides the voice of perry white perry white is actually the um if you from superman comics he's the publisher of the daily planet but here he actually is essentially just alex uh jones uh which is hilarious um, David Liebhart plays Ra uh, Raish Al Ghul, uh, who is actually the 
the head of the UCB. Uh, he's a veteran of UCB Live. and Sorry, in the movie, he's a veteran of UCB Live. And he's also the, the Joker, the Harlequins uh, improv instructor, uh, which is pretty good. Griffin Pr- Kramer plays young Joker. Bob Odenkirk has a role in the film. Uh, Sarah Sherman uh, plays Lauren Michaels. And Mike Vanderbilt has a cameo as the Creeper. I was very glad to see the Creeper in this film because the Creeper is like such a great underrated DC Comics character. Again, it's a parody. It's not the actual character. So uh, the one person who is uh, not listed on IMDb but is in the film is Robert uh, Wool. So Robert Wool is in the film. He played Alexander Knox in the 1989 Batman film. He was the uh, the journalist. Oh, right. Arliss. Yeah, or Arliss, as he's also known from his HBO show. But the funny thing is, he actually appears, it's clearly a cameo that somebody paid for. And it's him explaining like, like what you're doing is illegal and I can't be a part of it. Um, so like, I, I really can't say anything about this because I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, which is like him, like Ale- which it says Alexander Knox speaks out against uh, Joker the Harlequin. But in the end credits, it actually has him explaining like, I really am enthusiastically behind what you're doing but I don't think I can officially be a part of it. So they kind of have it both ways where he's in it, but not really in it. Um, sorry. By, ca- by, mm-hmm. by cameo, you mean the, um, the celebrity the video service, the app. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's get into the whole shebang with uh, what happened. So like I said, first of all, this isn't a film about the Joker. It is about a transgender uh, female clown who is called Joker, the Harlequin. Uh, the United Comedy Bureau is the only legal comedy that's allowed to be performed. You have to sign up for their classes and pay a huge fee to go through it. Lauren Michaels appears in the film as a rudimentary CGI character who meets his end when he slips on a banana peel and falls down the stairs, somehow ending up naked and gets eaten by a giant Venus flytrap. Um, the film had its world premiere at uh, TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, Midnight Madness screening on Tuesday, September the 13th. Technically, it's Wednesday. They, they list it as being 11.59 p.m. so that you know, which night to go out in, because it would be too confusing. Otherwise, uh, during the day of the 13th, Vera Drew put out a tweet saying, I have no clue how today goes, and my team wants me to say nothing, of course, so I'll stay vague, but whatever happens in the next few hours, I want you to know, if you've been waiting and aching to watch our movie, you're going to soon. Uh, and then she continued to say, stay tuned and stay with me and need your help. So the screening went ahead at midnight, but there was a lot of talk of the, of the screening being pulled. Um, so I, at a different screening, ran into a, uh, a programmer, not from TIFF, but from around the city at different festival or at different theaters. And uh, she informed me that, I don't know, uh, again, this is secondhand information, so I can't confirm or deny. We should also point out, I've met Peter Kaplowski in passing. Like, we don't, I don't know him, really. Just It's just a hi, how you doing sort of thing. Phil, you've also met him, I think, once or yeah. twice. Yeah. Uh, Kit, as far as I know, you haven't met Peter Kaplowski? I've never met him in my life. No. Yeah. We should also point out Peter Koplowski is the programmer of the Toronto International Film Festival's Midnight Madness program, which are basically 10 movies played at midnight, uh, 10 of the nights of the film festival. Um, it's great fun. I love going. Great crowds, great energy, great and like pretty good programming. I do if, uh, if I have to say so, especially this year, like I was I, I, the lineup. I was kind of like meh, but uh, but the each film that I went to, even when it was like on a lark, turned out to be great and really enjoyable and fun. So anyways, this programmer that I know, um, she told me that Kaplowski had actually booked a backup venue to show the film uh, outside of TIFF for the same night if 
the screening got pulled. It was a much smaller, I don't say the venue's name because I don't want to get them in trouble. It was a much smaller venue uh, than, than the Royal Alexandria Theater. So I don't know how that would have worked with all the ticket holders, but it would have screened that night. But I think that also could have gotten Kaplowski in trouble. Again, we don't know the whole story of what's going on. We'll get into what, what happens a little later. Um, so the screening happened and it went incredibly well. By the time I got home after the Q&A, um, every other screening of the film had been canceled. Uh, with the only statement on the TIFF website being, the filmmaker has withdrawn this film due to rights issues. We apologize for any inconvenience current ticket holders will receive, oh, current ticket holders will receive an email from TIFF customer relations with information on their purchase. Uh, as far as I understand, every single uh, person who had a ticket to either a press and industry screening or the other public screenings was refunded or given a ticket voucher. And what else is I going to say? Also, like at the Q&A afterwards, there was a lot of discussion of people who don't want you to see this movie. And even on the poster, this film was called an illegal movie. But Vera Drew cleared it up. There's nothing in this film that is actually illegal. She worked very closely with a parody and fair use lawyer to ensure that everything in the film, it falls under fair use of parody law protection specifically. Um, initially, there was going to be footage from, I think, Batman v Superman, The Dawn of Justice, and Todd Phillips' Joker film. However, that was cut out of the film ages ago and was not a part of it. Everything in the film uh, that was not originally created by Vera Drew or one of the over 100 artists working on the film was licensed stock footage or stock audio. So, And there was also some great parody songs. There was a parody of uh, Prince's Party Man, uh, which was awesome in the film. So the very next day after the screening... And we should point out that the all the other screenings were canceled less than an hour after the initial screening ended. Uh, so I feel very lucky that I was able to go there and see the film and to essentially see something that might will probably never be seen again in that same format. Even Vera Drew at the Q&A said there's a good chance that uh, she'll have to cut stuff out of the film or re-edit it completely in order for in order for it to ever be released. So this version might be gone forever, which is just heartbreaking because... It is a completely finished film. It is uh, a creative use of mixed media. And again, like I say, the hard work and heart is in every single frame of this film. So the next day, several media outlets posted stories about the film being pulled. Um, one article I want to talk about specifically was an article written by Jason Gorber at Blog TO. It came out fairly early in the day about the situation. In the article, Gorber kind of took a shot at Midnight Madness's Peter Kaplowski by saying it remains uncertain how this will affect the film in the future and also raises questions about potentially closer vetting of future selections by Kaplowski. Uh, the article went on to say if this ends up appearing as a mere, uh, ending up appearing as a mere stunt, stunt in quotation marks, to generate attention for the premiere, it undermines the festival's ethos and does damage to its reputation with its many partners, including key sponsors. While the Midnight Madness slate has always operated slightly in the shadows, the result of this poll could seriously affect future selection decisions. Um, that's a pretty harsh and damning, I don't want to say attack, but a pretty harsh and damning thing to write publicly. And of course, they included that they reached out to Kaplowski for comment. However, he hadn't as, as, as the time at the time of um, publication of that article. And also, they haven't updated the article since then, so I'm pretty sure that's just that. Uh, some of the comments in the comment section below, I try not to read comment sections, but I couldn't help it, are pretty awful, extremely transphobic, extremely homophobic, and extremely bigoted. And I should point out that, like, 
nearly every article or posting about the film online has generated comments that some pretty awful bigoted uh, transphobic and homophobic count, uh, comments going on, of course. And then there are others that are just like DC. They, they claim like, Oh, like, why would you even do this if you didn't have the rights? And it's like, it's a parody. You don't need to secure rights as long as it's falling within parody. At no point is it stated that this is in fact the actual Joker or uh, any of the characters from the DC comics or the, the Warner Brothers films or television shows. It's like saying, why didn't Warner Brothers shut down Epic movie when they parodied Superman Returns? There's been so many parodies of Batman and Superman and all their characters. I mean, Kit, I think you dropped something. You shared something in, in our group chat about, what was it, Splatman? That, that was oh. Phil that shared that. but Oh, sorry. Yes, Phil. <laughs> um, so, and like, that was a pornographic parody which apparently it turns out it actually was due by Warner Brothers, but there's been others since then. Um, I think, yeah, there was like uh, other parodies called, like there was like a parody of the 1960s Batman um, series that was pornographic. And I mean, uh, AGFA, the American Genre Film Archive, actually discovered and put out on Blu-ray Bat Pussy, which I think is the first pornographic parody, although it has been described as being people attempting to make pornography and failing. So back to this. So we should also point out that BlogTO kind of has a history of dogging Midnight Madness. Um, in the past, it uh, BlogTO uh, published articles that insinuated that medical emergencies that happened at Midnight Madness during screenings of Raw in 2016 and Revenge in 2017 were stunts done to drum up press. Uh, however, both medical emergencies were later confirmed to be legitimate by city authorities. And Phil, you and I were actually at the screening of Revenge in 2017 when there was a medical emergency. That's right. Uh, yeah, I was completely oblivious to what was happening at the time. And... Yeah, well, we just heard someone screaming, hello, hello, and then they were going for help. So on Wednesday, September 14th, I attended the Midnight Madness screening of Venus, and Peter Kaplowski was not there. Uh, former Midnight Madness programmer Colin Geddes, or Geddes filled in for him, and he cracked a small joke about Warner Brothers having issued his, uh, Kaplowski a cease and desist. Geddes then joked that he also issued his own cease and desist because Kaplowski wore red pants while hosting Midnight Madness, which is something Geddes used to do back when he was the programmer. Um, and there was no new, uh, the very next day, the first um, statement, official statement from Vera Drew issued about this dropped from her. I'm going to read it here in full. Um, the eve of our premiere, a media conglomerate that shall remain nameless sent me an angry letter misreported as a cease and desist, pressuring us not to screen. Any other film festival would have pulled us immediately, but after being fully transparent with TIFF, we agreed to premiere as planned while scaling back our later screenings to mitigate potential blowback. It was disappointing, especially since I went to great lengths with legal counsel to have it fall under parody slash fair use, but I made this choice to protect our our film's future, and to protect our new films at TIFF, who have been some of The People's Joker's biggest advocates. The People's Joker will screen again very soon at several other festivals worldwide. We are humbly seeking a distri distribution partner who believes in what we are doing, will protect us, and will eventually help us make this film accessible to trans people and their families everywhere, uh, ending with the hashtag free the people's Joker. So the next night, or that same night after that uh, that statement dropped at Midnight Madness, uh, I went to the screening, the midnight screening of VHS 1999, and Colin Geddes again filled in for Peter Kaplowski. 
Um, I didn't attend the screenings on Friday or Saturday night. However, at the Friday night screening of Project Wolf Hunting, which is a film I actually really wished I had gotten into, but it was all sold out, Peter Kaplowski did return and introduce the film and then host the Q&A afterwards. So I don't know if he, again, I don't want to, we don't want to speculate here because who knows what could have happened. It might've just been that he had to go all the way from the screening at Midnight Madness all the way through the next day and was just too exhausted and needed like a couple of days to recover because it does take a lot out of you. I went to four Midnight Madness screenings and it felt like I was hit by a truck. So finally, uh, the podcast, The Important Cinema Club, which is hosted by Will Sloan and Justin DeClue, who we should point out, Justin DeClue is actually a co-programmer of the Laser Blast Film Society with Peter Koplowski. Dropped an episode on TIFF uh, yesterday, Saturday, September 17th, wherein they discussed The People's Joker and its fallout. DeClue didn't get into specifics, but he did say that it was an uphill battle for Koplowski to program the film at TIFF. He explained that Kaplowski doesn't just get to show whatever he wants. And with the People's Joker, he had been championing, 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 he had been like, what's championing? Championing? Championing. Championing. Um, Championing. Championing? Uh, Whatever, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. The film for Championing. Championing the film for a long time, which Vera Drew had said during the Q&A after the screening that I attended. um, And that he had to go through many hurdles to get the film screened. So that's about where the story, as far as all the information I have, ends. I mean, it was a wild ride last week um, with regarding this film and its surroundings. It's it's kind of crazy, and I and I, I hate that it got pulled. I hate that people didn't get to see it. But this also kind of makes me. This is what I like about TIFF is that they will show things that might not get played anywhere else. They are. The, the important thing to know is that they're not they're not a corporation. They are a nonprofit. So they can afford to take certain risks. And TIFF has done this from time to time. Like they have shown uh, they showed uh, films where there weren't North American rights in place, like uh, with the quote unquote lost Ed Wood film. I woke up early the day I died. It premiered at Midnight Madness and then could never get a release in North America due to a whole bunch of right bunch of rights issues. And that was way back in 1998 or 99. I can't remember when. Um and it's just like, this is why you do this. I mean, it is true that like Midnight Madness is kind of its own pocket universe when it comes to uh, to TIFF, but like big films have premiered there. Like Weird, the Ali Yankovic story was the opening night film this year. Uh, a few years ago, The Disaster Artist had its uh, had its premiere, its finished premiere, not as a work in progress because it screened earlier as a work in progress, but it had its official world premiere there, which uh, which was huge. Borat, the first Borat film, had, had its world premiere at Midnight Madness. So it is a launch pad for some films that can break through and do better. Like this year, especially, I think the film The Blackening, which we'll get into later on in our TIFF episode, uh, has a chance to punch through and it doesn't have, it currently doesn't have distribution. So guys, uh, before we wrap this up, what are your thoughts on the whole people, People's Joker situation? I know it's difficult because you didn't see the film and you ha- probably haven't been following it as closely as I have. But uh, Phil, what are your thoughts on this whole kerfuffle? Oh God, I think it's totally absurd. I think I think it'll come, it'll, you know, everything will come out and okay on the other end, even if it's in a compromised form. Yeah, just a bummer that'll be the case. It's a bummer, but I ultimately think it'll be "quote unquote" fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those situations where it's like the other thing that I I didn't touch on is, um, I mean, Warner Brothers has been going through a lot of bad stuff lately, and like, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It's been bad. Their merger with Discovery has not gone fantastically. They shelved the Batgirl movie. They shelved the Scooby Doo movie. These are completed films that they're just 
throwing in the dumpster to get a tax write-off. Um, they've also begun the process of tearing down their back lots. So all their stages, all their standing sets, the, um, the, their, the famous like Warner brothers ranch, which is actually not a ranch, but it's a, it's a cul-de-sac with, uh, with all the houses from national lampoons, Christmas vacation from a bunch of like TV shows and movies you've known, uh, as well as it had the pool from Christmas vacation. It had the friends fountain there. It had the, the building that, you know, that Charlton Heston lives in, in the Omega man, they're all getting torn down. Um, I mean, this really seems to be, I, I kind of think, and I, and also just recently there was rumors that, um, Warner brothers discovery and NBC universal, which is the, the parent company of universal pictures might be merging, which is kind of obscene because, it's just like, I don't understand that, that thinking at all. Cause that would be a total, I mean, it could be something big enough to rival Disney, but it's one of those things. Like I even think the Disney Fox merger should not have gone ahead, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, if that happens, then so much, I hate to use the term intellectual property will just get lost. And I'm speaking specifically about films now, which we'll get into lost films in our, in our full on tip episode. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, and the other thing, the big thing that like everyone's kind of ignoring with Warner Brothers is that a lot of their IP specifically related to DC Comics will be entering the public domain within the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. Superman in the next 11 years will become public domain. And then Batman 12 years from now in 2032 will enter public domain. Um, I don't know if they can outrun it any longer, but it's like the creators of Batman, Bill Finger and Bob Kane are long dead their offspring are long dead at this point. Um, yes, Kit? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, like, whose intellectual property are we even talking about here? I mean, the creators are dead. Yeah. It's just a company that owns these rights. And also, like, you know, you get a lot of talk about how superheroes are our modern uh, myths, uh, mm-hmm. our modern, like, Greek myths. And if that's true, uh, if you stand by that, then they should be uh, accessible to the public. You should be able to write stories and, and plays involving them. Who cares? And I mean, and that and that's what parody and fair use it, is kind of for. It, and it's not taking any uh, money out of anybody's mouths. You know, it's not it's not taking any uh, money out of uh, Warner Brothers wallets. They can release Joker two next year and not have to worry about the market being dis- uh, saturated because of the People's Joker. It's all just silly. Yeah, it's 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 very disheartening. Like there will be no marketplace confusion. And which is like the biggest frustration is seeing all the comments seeing like but they didn't get the rights. It's like we get it. You are trying to disguise your own transphobia and transphobia and bigotry with this asinine legal mumbo jumbo that you yourself don't understand. Um Also, who's that uh, that film company the uh the notorious one was it Asylum? They did like uh, Transmorphers and Alien versus Hunter and uh, Titanic Two and the Da Vinci Treasure and all of this stuff. They, those this was all released. Yep, and um, Snakes on a Train. Snakes on a Train. That's right. I remember, I remember when, uh, one. War of the Man. Worlds when uh, the Spielberg War of the Worlds came out. They did H. G. Wells War of the Worlds. Yeah, they literally did that. They also released uh, when the first Thor movie came out, the Almighty Thor. Starring, um, who was it? Starring, I think, Richard Grieco and Kevin Nash. Right, because Thor is not a, you can't, you can't restrict that under IP because it's a, it's a myth. It's a, it's yeah. a Norse myth. So you can actually just use Thor. 
And on top of it, that, that company was clearly trying to create marketplace confusion by doing this. Like, they yeah. Were, yeah. These things would be released at the same time. And I worked at Blockbuster uh, when a lot of these when people would get fooled. They'd be like, oh, I thought Transformers was still in, in theaters. Well, I guess I'll just rent this. I mean, uh, New Line Cinema kind of did that in the um, in the 90s with Spawn. When the Spawn movie came out, they also released the Spawn cartoon on home video at the same time. And people rented it thinking it was the feature film. And they were disappointed that it was an R-rated cartoon. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's crap. It's like, it's, it's awful. Um, like those things have far less claim to being parody or, or fair use than, than say the people's joker, but they're exactly. allowed to exist somehow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the other thing we should point out as well, like the quote unquote Streisand effect, like if, if you remember that movie uh, Escape from Tomorrow that was shot at uh, Disney World without permits, that was when yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it. That movie Disney just ignored it, and it went away. Also, because it wasn't that great of a movie, but um, <laughs> but with this film, if Warner Brothers had just ignored it, it would have played TIFF, would have played some other film festivals, and it probably would just go down in history as being like, oh, remember that like uh, that that uh, weird, funny. Batman spoof that came out 20 years ago and that would be the gist of it. It's like yeah. no one really remembers the the non-canon James Bond that Sean Connery acted in like uh, Never Say Never Again. Like nobody right. really thinks about that at all. Yet it came out the same exact same year as I think Octopussy. Um, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, final thoughts on the whole People's Joker. It's It's difficult to say this is a review episode because... I'm trying not to spoil it because the film probably won't be coming out for a while, if at all, in this form. But uh, I, I believe it will. And that's another thing. Like if a bunch of nerds can band together and, and get uh, get Warner Brothers to release the Snyder Cut, um, you know, if as, as long as there's a uh, groundswell, uh, if you release it online, there's a groundswell of uh, a fan base for it, you know, free the people's Joker. Yeah. Things can happen. And like the biggest thing that's like so ridiculous is like Dracula is public domain, yet... People still release Dracula movies. People still make there's, Dracula TV shows. Yep. There's a Winnie the Pooh horror film coming out. Have you seen the trailers for that? I've yeah, heard about I, it. I have not watched the trailer. <laughs> yeah, I've that's seen because, the mm-hmm. Winnie the I saw the trailer. That's because Winnie the Pooh in Britain has yeah. become public domain. Not not yeah. in North America, in Britain. Um, it's kind of like uh, how 1984, the George Orwell novel, it's public domain in Canada, but not the U.S., so it's uh, it's this whole stuff is weird. Anyways, that's uh, that's our take on the People's Joker. Hopefully, this hasn't been too boring of an episode for everyone listening. Um, so with that, uh, we'll see you with our next episode, which is going to be a TIFF wrap up. All right. So for Death by Video, I've been Phil. I've been Kit, and I'm still Graham. Saying thank you for watching amazing movies. Please be kind to one another. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>